Aren't you glad that we have a great God? You know, I am reminded, unfortunately, on a daily basis how much I need His grace. Amen? Amen. Turn to your Bibles, if you will, to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Boys and girls, you may go to Children's Church now. Ages four years old through kindergarten. Don't know your parents slip out, all right? So, and uh, we are continuing this morning in our series on the book of Acts. If you didn't get an outline, you should have got an outline in the bulletin. If you did not, if you'll raise your hand, our ushers will get you one of those here momentarily. So just keep your hand up, and the ushers will get you, get you one of those. Listen, it's good to see us all together, amen? You know, it's good to see us all together. It is. It's good for you to be here this morning. Um, I told you it was going to be full, right? And uh, that's a good thing, all right? So uh, I appreciate your understanding and, and uh, patience and, um, and just being willing to, to love on each other a little more, right? Maybe not quite as much elbow room, but that's okay. So thank you. Listen, we want to continue to reach out and stuff. And so as we do that as a church, God's going to, uh, who knows what the next step God has for us. Amen. Uh, but uh, we believe this is where God wants us right now. Thank you, ladies, all of you guys. I don't know if you are for the breakfast this morning. Great job. Awesome. Thank you very much. Um, yes. Thank you for those of you who helped clean up. Thank you for those who set up. Alan, thank you for that. Alan comes in and does a lot of that stuff uh, by himself, and so we appreciate that. Thank you for helping tear down and all that kind of stuff. Listen, how appropriate is it that what we're going to be talking about this morning comes on the heels of you just having a big breakfast, okay? And you say, Pastor, what are we going to be talking about? Well, you're going to find out here in just a little bit, all right? Uh, but it is something you're not going to want to be doing this morning during the sermon, okay? So I want to start out this morning by sharing a funny letter that was sent from a faithful church member to their pastor. And in this letter, uh, this person said, Dear Pastor, you often stress attendance at worship as being very important for a Christian. But I think a person has a right to miss a Sunday worship every now and then. Now, we would probably agree with that statement, right? This person went on and said, In fact, Pastor, I've made a list. I think every person ought to be excused for the following reasons and for the following number of times indicated. They said, every individual ought to be excused one Sunday for Christmas, Sunday before or Sunday after for traveling purposes. One ought to be excused one Sunday for New Year's because we just had to stay up late to see in the new year. One Sunday for Easter because we've got to be away for the holidays. One Sunday for spring break because you've got to get the kids away for a break. Amen. One Sunday for Memorial Day, you got to visit family and barbecue together. One Sunday for July 4th, it is a national holiday after all. One Sunday just before school opens, one last summer fling. One Sunday for Labor Day, got to get away again but well, before the weather gets bad. Two for family reunions, mine and the wife's. Two Sundays for sleeping late. Listen, Saturday night's the only time we can do anything as a family. Two Sundays for deaths in the family, average of two per year. Uh, one for anniversary, got to get that second honeymoon in. Uh, one, at least one per family member per year for sickness, right? Can't, can't, can't help that when that comes up. A couple for business trips, three for vacation, when there's bad weather. Snow, ice, rain, sometimes just clouds, whatever may keep us in in the morning. 
When the kids have ball games, about six of those per year. When unexpected company shows up, you know, I can't walk out, leave them to fend for themselves. When the time changes, spring ahead, that's next week, by the way, don't y'all forget it, okay? And fall back. And, Pastor, when there are specials on TV like the Super Bowl and the World Series. The letter finishes like this. Pastor, that leaves two Sundays per year. So, you can count on us to be in church on the fourth Sunday in February and the third Sunday in August unless we are providentially hindered. Sincerely yours, a faithful church member. (laughs) Now, we chuckle at that. We find that funny. But how many of you have used one of those excuses before, huh? Anybody going to admit that? No, not me, Pastor, not me. Okay. I get a few of them there. Listen, here's what I want to ask you this morning. How important, when it gets down to really the question, how important do you believe it is to be involved in a local church and to be faithful in your church attendance? How important do you believe it is? Well, now, now let me stop just for a minute. Before we continue, let me, let me say a couple things. I want to make a couple of things clear. First of all, I understand there are times when you really can't be at church. All right? I understand that. And you know what? That's okay. Listen, if you come down with Ebola, that's a good, you've got an excuse to absence, all right? Okay? I'm okay with you staying home. That's good. I understand that there are times when we can't be at church. I also understand, friends, going to church doesn't save anybody. Amen? Just going to church doesn't make you right with God. And, friends, just being in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. Okay? So I understand that. We all understand those things. But friends, I still believe that being regularly involved in a local church body is vitally important to your spiritual health. I still believe that. I know a lot of people today don't don't go to church. They believe they don't need to go to church. They still claim to have a relationship with Christ and so forth. We're going to talk about that this morning, friends. But I still believe it is vitally important for your spiritual health. And I think we see that in our text today. Our text today is a, um, is a funny story. Um, it wasn't funny when it happened. You know, it's, you know, there's a lot of things that happen to us that aren't funny when they happen, right? When we look back on them, we think, ah, that's pretty funny. And so that's kind of the way this story this morning happens uh, and, and kind of the way it, it, it lays out. I want to look at our story this morning. And as we do, there are three areas of concern that I want us to look at as it relates to this topic. Three areas of concern as it relates to the topic of falling out of church. Number one, take your outline this morning. The first area of concern is this. And it is the importance of the gathering of God's people. Friends, it is the importance of the gathering of God's people. Listen, I already said this, but I believe it is important for God's people to gather together. Amen? I believe it is important that you be here as often as you can. Friends, listen, we see this continually throughout the New Testament, right? As you read through the New Testament and through the book of Acts as we've been going and on through the letters of Paul and the letters of John and all of that, listen, you don't see people doing Christianity on their own. You just don't see that. They're doing it within the context of the body of Christ. They're doing that in the context of a local church body. Uh, you just don't see them out on their own, uh, you know, in, over in solitude somewhere and, and, and doing something. No, they're doing life and church together. Look at verse 7. This is what we see in our text today. Verse 7 says this, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul 
ready to depart the next day, spoke to them. Now, this gathering of believers takes place in a city called Troas. We're going to look at our map here. And Troas is up here. If you remember, uh, Paul was down in Ephesus here. And if we kind of follow where he went, this is actually a, uh, traces his course through this uh, missionary journey here. Paul went from uh, Ephesus here. He went up and down through Macedonia, as we read last week, and down into Greece. And then he was going to sail back over to Syria, but instead, right, there was some persecution going on, so he went back up through Macedonia and came and sailed across to Troas, right here, where our story takes place today. And what we find here in verse 7 is the first or the earliest recorded description of a Christian worship service. And you say, well, pastor, what was, a, what was one of the early worship services like? What did they do? What took place? Uh, what went on? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. There are several things we see here in verse 7 that are noteworthy. First of all is this. Friend, now this is very revolutionary, but simply put, they gathered. They gathered. They came together, right? Uh, uh, it says on the first day of the week when the disciples came together. They came together. Listen, uh, they had heard the gospel. As we talked about last week, they had responded to the gospel and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they were saved. They were born again. They're, they went from death to life as they put their faith in Christ. But they didn't, from that point forward, start doing life on their own. They did life together, and they believed it was important to gather together. Friends, they came together to be together. You know, it amazes me how many people who claim to be believers have no desire to gather together with unbelievers, with other believers. Uh, it just amazes me how many people who, who say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but they have no desire to be a part of a church. They have no desire to gather together with other believers and to fellowship and to grow and iron sharpen iron, all that kind of stuff. Friends, let me just say this one thing. Listen, if you genuinely know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I believe, friends, I believe you ought to have some kind of a desire welling down in you somewhere to fellowship with other believers. I believe there ought to be some inkling down within you. Or, or maybe it's at least an inkling, you know, that, that, that I know I ought to, I know I need to. Stuff happens, doesn't it? Listen, there is a bond between other believers that is unique to the world. There is a bond when you meet another brother or sister in Christ and you, maybe you're talking to somebody at work, and then I hear some of you, some of you have told me this. Pastor, I was, kind of trying to share, I was sharing my faith with somebody at work, and guess what? I found out they were a believer. And so, you know, a lot of times you tell me that, and I'm like, well, that's awesome. That's great. You know, there are the, the other people out there who trust in Christ. Absolutely. And the cool thing is when we find them and when we connect with them, there is a bond there that can't happen any other way. Friends, I believe it's a bond that's even stronger than blood. You know, some of us have blood family members, and we're not as close to them as we are to our heavenly family members. Amen? The ones we are uh, in Christ with. And friends, that's a good thing. 
Listen, we have a bond and a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. If Jesus has saved you and redeemed you and you know that without him, I don't stand a chance. But because of him, I have life and you and I have that in common. Man, we, we, we are bonding. Amen. We can bond over that. That's what it's about, to know Jesus Christ and to fellowship with other believers. And then, so we ought to want to come together and we ought to want to strengthen each other. Amen? How many of you get very discouraged out in the world today? Okay, anybody going to admit that? Okay. How many of you have watched the news lately? Okay, probably the same ones, right? If you've watched the news lately, you pay attention to what's going on in the world. It's very easy to get discouraged. You, we kind of think as believers, we're out there on an island somewhere. And you know what? Those, those in the world who are trying to push their agenda, again, an anti-Christian agenda, want us to think we're out on an island somewhere and that we're the crazy ones. Listen, Jesus Christ is the only hope for now and for eternity. Don't be ashamed of that, amen? Don't be ashamed of that. And one of the reasons we need to come together, friends, is because we need to encourage one another. Listen, you need to be encouraged, but let me tell you something else. You need to be an encourager. You need to be an encourager. Now listen, I know if most of us were honest, we'd, cut, we'd say, well, I go to church because I, I need to hear from the Lord. Good, that's a good deal, right? And I need to be encouraged, and I need this. But did you ever think, so, so what's, what happens is when we do that, sometimes we don't come to church because we just don't feel like it. What if somebody else needs to be encouraged by you today? What if you need to be the encourager to lift somebody up and you aren't here? What if you are the one God wants somebody new that's come to connect with and you aren't here? You see how this works? Listen, it's important. Now listen, as I've already said, I understand there are things that when you can't be here and so forth, when you're sick, I get that. But listen, don't let the sniffles keep you away all the time. Amen? Uh, We need to encourage one another and so forth. Listen, here's another thing. We need to be a part of a corporate worship experience. Amen? You say, oh, pastor, I can worship God on my own. Some of you worship God in the shower, and you need to keep it in the shower, okay? (laughs) Some of you worship God in the car going down the road, and some of you need to keep it in the car going down the road. I'm just kidding, friends. We need to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. You may say, well, pastor, I I don't like to sing. You know what? That's okay. That's all right. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to sing anyway. Okay? Now, worship is not singing. Okay? Worship is the giving of our lives over to Christ. It is full obedience to Him. But when we come together as a, a, a body in Christ and we sing praises to Him, it is an outlet in which we can just express the love in our hearts and appreciation for what Christ has done for us. Amen? So I want to encourage you, when you're here and when we are uh, singing as a church body, I want to encourage you as Chris tries to get you to sing out. Amen? You say, but pastor, I can't sing. Listen, this is the wonderful, beautiful thing that God did about a church body. Is that when there are 250 people singing, guess what? Nobody can hear you. Now, for most of us, that's probably a good thing. Amen? And somehow, God makes it when a big group of people like this sing, somehow it sounds awesome. Okay? So we need to come together for corporate worship. and We need to be lifting our voices to the Lord. And friends, we need to come together to hear the word of God. Amen? Now, 
I, listen, I, I understand and I agree with you that you need to be reading the Word of God on your own all throughout the week. Sunday morning should not be the only time you eat spiritually. Amen? But even I, as a pastor, need to hear the Word of God preached to me by, from somebody else. Okay? You know, when I stop doing that, when you stop doing that, do you know that's how cults start? <laughs> When we start to take our ideas and we impose them on God's word and so forth. Now listen, we sit down, let the Holy Spirit teach us God's word. He can and he will. But we need iron sharpening iron. We need other godly men and women to pour into us and help us to understand God's word. Amen? So friends, listen, there are important reasons why we are to gather together and we should not forsake that. Hebrews chapter 10 says this. says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Amen? So, friends, it is important for us to gather. That's the first thing we see. The second thing we see about the importance of gathering of God's people, friends, is not only did they gather, but they gathered on the first day of the week. They gathered on the first day of the week. Now, I mean, I've had this question asked me before. Many of you maybe have wondered this before. Why did they and why do we worship on Sunday instead of on the Sabbath or Saturday as they did in the Old Testament? You ever thought that before? You ever wondered that before? Well, friends, the answer, the biggest answer, a couple of things, but the biggest answer is very obvious and you've probably already figured out. But friends, that was the day that Jesus rose from the grave. He rose on the first day of the week. So that's the whole reason we celebrate. Amen. When Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and he rose from the grave to prove that he was who he said he was and to give us new life. So we worship on Sunday, the first day of the week, because that's when Jesus rose from the grave. But the second reason is this, friends. It's because New Testament believers are not obligated to keep the Saturday Sabbath. Now, do we need to observe a day of rest? Yeah, we need that. Amen. And we need that. If we don't, if we ignore uh, that part of the command, then we're going to have, have physical problems and so forth. But uh, multiple times throughout the New Testament, over in Romans chapter 14, also in Colossians chapter 2, Paul speaks to this very thing. He says, let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So, friends, we are not obligated, we are not required to keep the Sabbath, the Saturday Sabbath, as the Jews were. And just as the New Testament believers, they weren't required to keep that Sabbath, but they voluntarily chose to worship the Lord on the first day of the week, on Sunday. Now, pastor, does that mean we have to worship on Sunday? No. They chose to worship on Sunday because that's when Jesus rose from the grave. There are many churches nowadays, uh, sometimes out of just practical matters, that have done, started Saturday night worship service, Thursday night worship service, and so forth. Is it wrong for us to worship on Thursday night or Saturday night or Sunday night or Wednesday night or whatever? No. Listen, our whole lives ought to be offered to worship into Jesus Christ. Amen? Anytime we come together as a corporate body, friends, it is, should be a voluntary thing. It should be a choice of ours. And because of that, God gets honor and glory. Amen? So we worship. And they gathered on the first day of the week, friends. And I believe we should too, as often as we can. 
Well, not only did they gather, not only gather on the first day of the week, friends, but they gathered to break bread. They gathered to break bread. Now, that's how we know it was a Baptist church, amen? The scripture simply says here that on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. Now, when it says break bread here, uh, there are two things that that term could refer to. First of all is simply sharing a meal together. And sometimes it did refer to sharing a meal together. But when it it comes in the context of a group of believers gathering together, it also referred to observing and remembering the Lord's Supper together. Observing and partaking of the bread and the cup as the symbols that that symbolize Jesus' body and blood shed on the cross for us. What seems to have been the custom uh, for believers in, in, in the early church was that when they came together... They most always ate a meal together. And at the end of the meal, they then would take of the elements of the Lord's Supper, much as Jesus did on the night before in which he was crucified and the night in which he was betrayed. Uh, He uh, took of the Lord's Supper, and they did that at the end of a meal. Friends, also the early church did this at the end of of a meal a lot of times as a remembrance of what Jesus did on the cross for us. Now... Some churches, and you probably, some of you have probably been in churches that do this every time they meet. Some churches choose to observe the Lord's Supper and observe communion every time they meet. Some churches do it once a month. We do it about once a quarter. Some churches once a year. What did Jesus say about that? As oft as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. So why are we to observe the Lord's Supper? Jesus just told us. Why is it? It's to remember what he did for us. Amen? That's what we do it. Here at Southside, we do it once a quarter. Uh, uh, Not too often where it becomes too ritualistic, uh, but we want to do it where it is meaningful and it has meaning in our lives. Listen, here's the whole purpose and the point of all that is because we got to keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus' body and blood shed on the cross as payment for our sins. Amen? Why did Jesus institute the Lord's Supper? Well, This is my own thinking, but here's one of the reasons I believe. Because you know what? There are a lot of churches that have gotten off target today. Would you agree with me? There are a lot of churches who are preaching a social gospel or a prosperity gospel. And they're not maybe preaching the the, the essence of the gospel that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, shed his body and blood for us, was buried and rose again. But even those churches still celebrate communion. And every time they celebrate communion and they take of the elements of the bread and the cup, the message is there. Jesus' body and blood that is shed for us. So even in a church that may not be preaching the gospel as they should, if they are still celebrating, even ritualistically, communion, the Lord's Supper, the the, the message of the gospel is there, friends. Jesus' body and blood was shed on the cross as payment for our sins. Amen? That ought to be the message in everything we do. And friends, that brings us right to the fourth thing we see about the gathering of God's people. They gathered on the first day of the week. They gathered to break bread. And friends, they gathered to hear the gospel preached. Amen? They gathered to hear the gospel preached. Now, I need one a little better than that this morning, all right? We're coming up on this, so you've got to stay with me, all right? Amen? Amen? Amen. Now... 
It says here in verse 7 that on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them. And probably because he was getting ready to depart the next day, he had more than a few things to say. And look at the next phrase here. And it says he continued his message until what? Say that again. Until what? Midnight, Chris. Midnight. Paul preached to midnight. Amen for preachers. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, you say, but pastor, when did they start? 11 p.m.? No. They came together for a meal. Remember that? Many commentators believe it was in the evening when they came together. So let's assume that. Even if they came together at 5 or 6 o'clock, they had a meal together. And Paul started preaching. Friends, that was still at least five hours. And sometime, maybe they even met before that. What if they started before that? Just think of how long that was that Paul preached. Can I hear an amen for a 45-minute sermon now? Amen? Hey, we can go till 3. We can go to 4 this afternoon. Listen, Paul preached, and he preached, and he preached. Friends, why did Paul preach so long, friends? Because they were eager to hear the Word of God. Most of these folks probably hadn't been believers very long. And they were hungry for the word of God. How woe is it to us that get tired of hearing the word of God. Amen. Where is the hunger in our hearts? Where is the desire to want to hear from God? Where is the desire to say that we need to hear from God? Friends. I believe there is another danger in the church today. It's the second area of concern that we see in our text today. Not only do we see the importance of the gathering of God's people, friends, but we see the danger of apathy among God's people. What we see here in verse 7, friends, is that Paul got on a roll. Paul got on a roll. And he kept going and preaching. And the word here literally is, uh, is, is our English word dialogue. Okay, it's the Greek word for where we get our word dialogue. And so there probably was some interaction there with Paul, maybe questions back and forth. But nevertheless, Paul preached and he spoke to them and he continued his message until midnight. Way to go, Paul. But that wasn't so good for everybody. Look at verse 8. So we continue the story this morning. It says... There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. Now, they were gathered in the upper room. Listen, they didn't have a church building at that point uh, and so forth. And so this was probably in somebody's house, maybe in a, uh, a, 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 a somewhere, somewhere that they had a larger room to, to gather in. But it says, verse 8, there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered. Now, think about this. Here they were in probably as big a room as they could find. And they had probably as many people as they could stuff in there, right? And... Just with all those people in there, it was getting a little warm. Then they had oil lamps burning. And what was happening with that was getting a little warmer. And look at verse 9. It says, and in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus. Now, as you can imagine, it was getting warm and stuff. The, The term here used for young man, we don't know exactly how old Eutychus was. But it seems to indicate that he was probably a young teenager. Eutychus was sitting next to his mom and dad and saying, Come, mom, dad, I'm, just, I'm not going to make it here. I'm about, can I go sit over by the window? And they said, Sure, go sit over by the window. 
So Eutychus went over to sit by the window and, and really kind of in the windowsill there. And let's look at what happened. Probably, and let's give Eutychus the benefit of the doubt, probably because he wanted to get some fresh air, right? He wanted to try and to stay awake and so forth, and, and he was doing all he could. And it says in the window sat a young, certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. Now look around at your neighbor. Okay, is there anybody sinking into a deep sleep? All right. What, they were dozing. He was dozing, right? You know, those, of you, those kids, you've seen the movie Cars. Okay, boys and girls, you've seen the movie Cars. You know, when, when they were, he was dozing, you know, he was kind of just <laughs> doing all he can to fight him. He was just, he was dozing. And then it says he was overcome by sleep. So as he was dozing, what happened? And he was out. He was out like a light. He went sound asleep. And what does the scripture say? It says, as he was sinking into a deep sleep, he was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continues speaking, now we don't know exactly what happened here. We don't know if Eutychus, as he was asleep and he fell asleep there in the window, began to slump over. Or if all of a sudden Paul got loud, hey, and then Eutychus jumped. But look at what it says happened. It says, as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Now, friends, did you know that sleeping in church can kill you? <laughs> There's danger in it. Eutychus literally fell out of church. He literally fell out of church, and it killed him. And, friends, as we're going to see in a minute, it almost cost him his life. Now, I want to stop here for just a minute, and I want you to think about something with me. I want you to think about something. When we think about what happened here, what a tragedy that this would happen. It's a gathering of believers. It's a joyous time. It's a fellowship time. And here, this young boy falls out of the third-story window and dies. What a tragedy. Who do you blame for that? Do you blame Eutychus? Or do you blame Paul? I want to do a little survey here this morning. How many of you think the blame falls on Eutychus for falling out the window? Okay, a few of you. How many of you think the blame lands on Paul for preaching too long? Go ahead. Let me see your honesty. Let me see your honesty. Raise it up high. Come on now. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. All right? Listen, most of us, if we're completely honest, would probably blame Paul. Because we are more conditioned to think worse of a preacher who preaches too long than we are somebody who falls asleep in church. Amen? Which one do you think worse about? Probably the the preacher who preaches too long. But friends, which one is really the greater problem? It's the one who fell asleep in church. Amen? By far. Now, let me make something clear. This sermon is not about the dangers of sleeping in church. Although I would like to go there. Amen? Amen? And although, come on, man, at least try to hide it, okay? Can y'all do me a favor there, okay? At least when I was a kid, you know, we got creative, and we were just kind of, you know, had our Bible on our lap and our hands like this, and we were at least trying to hide something, okay? This sermon is not about the dangers of falling asleep in church, but friends, it is about the danger of becoming apathetic towards the things of God. Why did Eutychus end up falling out of the window? Because somewhere along the lines, he stopped listening to what Paul had to say. And he became tuning Paul out. He became disinterested. 
and he began to doze, and then he fell asleep, and then he fell out. You know, a lot of churches have uh, in their role or in their list of members two designations. They have active members and they have non-active members. You're familiar with that, probably, right? Let me ask you a question. How long does it take a person to go from an active member to an inactive member? You say, well, pastor, that depends. Well, let me just put it this way. Does it happen overnight? Usually not. You know, nobody usually wakes up one day and says, you know what, I think I'm just going to quit going to church today. (laughs) It's not how it happens, is it? Quitting church is something that you don't plan to do, but one day you wake up and realize, my goodness, we don't go to church anymore. And, And it's a gradual process whereby we slowly become disinterested in the things of God and instead become more interested in the things of us. Amen? Other things take precedence. Maybe it starts with, ah, I just want to sleep in a little bit, right? It's my only day to sleep in. i got to work every other day of the week. Can I just, can I time out here for just a minute? I ought to call names and point some people out, but we have several people who work third shift on Saturday night and still come to church. Before going to sleep, I will occasionally uh, uh, excuse them for a little sleeping in service, okay? But listen, it can be done. Uh, maybe it starts with wanting to sleep a little bit, sleep in a little bit. Maybe it starts with, you know, just missing a Sunday here and there for whatever reason, you know, oh, well, kids are sick or we're sick or we just got back from out of town or whatever. And here's what we think. We think, well, you know what? Missing one Sunday won't hurt me. And then one Sunday turns into two, and two Sundays turns into three, and three Sundays turns into four, and four Sundays turns into five. And before you know it, if you're not careful, friends, you don't go at all. You say, but pastor, I believe I can maintain my close walk with the Lord without going to church all the time. Now listen, I've already said, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Amen? I agree with that. Is it possible to be a believer and not be faithful in church? It's possible. But my experience is that maybe you think you can maintain a close walk with the Lord without going to church all the time. But my experience is most people can't. In fact, my experience as a pastor, and if you pull pastors as a whole, friends, being active in a good church is part of being a mature believer in Christ. And if you are not active in a local church body, there is a maturity issue somewhere in your life. Unless you are physically impaired or your job prohibits you. Listen, I'm glad for doctors who are working on Sunday morning. Amen. When, if I was to have a heart attack and end up in the hospital, I'm glad for that. So there are reasons that people have to miss. But I found that most people still can be active in a church if they really want to. Just maybe not able to attend every Sunday. Being active in a good church, friends, is uh, intricately connected to being a mature, a mature believer in Christ. Uh, but, but it's kind of, the relationship kind of goes something like this. How many of you remember the old square rectangle theorem? You say, what are you talking about, Pastor? You remember this? Every square is a rectangle, right? I had to think through this too, all right? I had to think through this. Every square is a rectangle, but every rectangle is not a square. You remember that? Okay, go study your math and everything. I, uh, I think I got that right. But every square is a rectangle. Every rectangle is not a square. Well, it's kind of like that, okay? 
It's kind of like that, friends. If you are a mature believer, you will be active in, church, in a church. But friends, just being active in a church doesn't necessarily mean that you are a mature believer. Amen? So it's the same type of relationship. If you're a mature believer, you will be active in a church. But friends, if you just because you're active in a church doesn't necessarily mean you're a mature believer. And friends, if you're not, then as a general rule, if you're not active in a church, it generally indicates that there is disinterest or apathy somewhere in your relationship or towards the things of God in your life. Listen, let me reiterate. This is not about sleeping in church. Can I confess something to you before? I have fallen asleep in church, okay? Even as an adult, I have fallen asleep in church. Now, not while I'm preaching, okay? (laughs) I have yet to fall asleep while I'm preaching, although I would imagine some of them probably were worthy of that, amen? Uh, And there may be a day when I just, I'm walking around, and here's kind of the deal. When I was a kid, I was one of those kids, John, probably like you a little bit, okay, hooligan type thing, you know, but hey, that's self, self-confessed, right, John? Self-confessed, he's called himself that and so forth, but as a kid and even as a teenager in church, I had two problems. One of my problems was I couldn't either, either I couldn't stay still, sitting back, sitting forward, oh, you know, I just, I couldn't sit still, or if I did stay still, guess what? I fell asleep. So you know what God does when you have those two kind of problems? He calls you into the ministry, all right? So listen, let that be a warning for you, all right? Let that be a warning for you. Because I believe it's the only way. God said, listen, you can fall asleep or you can't stay still. Well, then I got to provide somewhere for you to walk around. Listen, friends, this is not about falling asleep in church. It's about being apathetic towards the things of God. It's about simply being disinterested. You say, Pastor, what do I do about that? What do I do to make sure I don't slide down that slippery slope? Because remember, please remember, you say, oh, Pastor, I'm not there. I'm still in church every Sunday. I'm active in church. Listen, it is a slippery slope, friends, and it gets faster towards the end. Amen? So, Pastor, what can I do to prevent that from happening in my life well, friends, let me just give you a few thoughts here of mine, okay? And, and the overarching thought is this, friends. You need to cultivate your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to cultivate your relationship with the Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. That's what happens when you eat breakfast right before you preach. <laughs> now, I'm sure Eutychus didn't plan on going to sleep in church, right? You know, most people don't plan on going. If that's your plan, just stay home, okay? <laughs> Listen, just stay home if you plan on sleeping in church. But I'm sure Eutychus didn't plan on sleeping in church. But somewhere along the way, he became disinterested. He started tuning Paul out. He zoned out, right? You know what I mean when I say zone out? How many of you have teenagers? If you have a teenager, how many of you have had teenagers at one point? Raise your hand. If you've ever had a teenager, you understand what zoning out is, right? (laughs) Sometimes your kids do this as well. You know it's when you need to be talking to them. Uh, Mark, is there a little bit of nudging going on over there? A whole lot of it, all right. We can understand that. There, there was, you know, it's when, when, when you're talking to your kid and you're trying to instruct them in some important things and they are, what? Yes, Mom. Yes, Dad. Yes. 
I will obey always. <laughs> they have zoned out. And what's happened there? What, what's, the big pro- what's the biggest problem with them zoning out? They're not listening to you anymore. Amen? They're not listening to you anymore. You can be talking. You can be trying to converse. But they're not listening anymore. Listen, let me give you a warning here. We as Christians too many times zone out. And what that means is we stop listening to what God has to say to us. We stop caring about what God has to say to us. We want to do life our way. We want to do things the way we want to do it, friends. And so we zone out and we don't even get in the word. If we do get in the word, we just do it because, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. And we don't really listen and we aren't hungry for the word and we're not eager to hear from God. Friends, we need to repent of that apathy. Amen. That is a sin. It is a sin and an affront against the holy God. I want to encourage you this morning, if you are there, or even if you're on the road to being there, friends, don't not do anything. Friends, listen, I want to encourage you, stay connected. John chapter 15, what did, what did Jesus say? Abide in me and I in you, so that you may bear much fruit. What does it mean to abide? Some of your versions in John chapter 15 have that word translated remain. Jesus says, remain in me. Stay connected to me. He uses the illustration of a vine and he says, if the vine gets torn off, then what happens? It is not connected anymore and it cannot draw its nutrients and its life from the vine. That's what happens when we zone out. We stay connected to the vine. We pursue Christ. We pursue a relationship with him. Amen? We desire to learn and grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We pay attention to what God is saying to us. Amen? We desire. Listen, if that's your heart, if you are apathetic, if you are disinterested, get down on your knees and beg God to change your heart. Listen, we all go through periods of, uh, of, of, of kind of uh, spiritual uh, uh, flatness. It happens. It's easy, friends. But when we sense that in our life, we need to beg God, God, what is hindering my relationship with you? Let me give you a hint. It isn't him. It's something in us. And most of the times we don't even realize it. Friends, we are the biggest self-disillusioners there are. We, we, we deceive ourselves. We, 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 there are things in our lives that are hindering our relationship with God. We say, oh, well, no, that doesn't really hurt my relationship with God. Yes, it does. So, friends, whatever it is that you know deep down in your heart of hearts, because, see, here's the problem. Maybe you don't know because you haven't been listening to God. You see, if you are saved, If if you are trusting in Christ, in Christ alone for your salvation, then you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. And listen, he's not just a nice little decoration to sit on the mantle. He is the very God of the universe that comes to live inside of you, to lead you and guide you and speak to you and to nudge you and to pull you. And sometimes to kick you, right? But most of the time, how, what does he do? He speaks in a still, small voice. 
This way. That way. Come on. You can do it. Why do most of us not hear the voice of God? Why do most of us seek for God's leading in our life but aren't able to discern it? Because we're not. What is it? Listening. You know it. We're not listening. Just like when you were a teenager and you stopped listening to mom or dad, you have stopped listening to God. And in your stubborn, prideful ways, you think, I got this. And many of us start looking at our our salvation kind of like a certificate on the wall rather than a relationship with the one who saved us. Friends, don't let it get to that. Amen? Refuse to let apathy get a hold of you. Be careful of that danger. We'll come back to that here in just a minute. With the third area of concern, I want to I share with you this morning is this. Friends, not only do we see in here the importance of the gathering of God's people, do we, not only do we see the danger of apathy among God's people, friends, but we also see the need for love and compassion from God's people. Can I get an amen there? We as God's people need to be compassionate. We need to be loving. Look at what Paul did when Eutychus fell. Look at verse 10. Eutychus, it says, fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But when Paul went down, now you would think Paul was wrapped up. He didn't even see this, right? Well, this was a big deal. Okay, Paul stopped, he went down, he fell on him and embracing him said, do not trouble yourselves for his life is in him. Now, first of all, it doesn't mean that he didn't die. Let me remind you, who was writing the the, the book of Acts? Luke. And what was Luke's profession? He was a physician. So I think Luke could tell. I'm sure he knew how to pronounce someone dead. In fact, I imagine Luke was probably one of the first ones down there. Luke was with him at this point. And, and I'm sure Luke was one of the first ones down there and to say, oh, no, he's fallen and he's died. And Paul's heart of love and compassion. Now, it would have been very easy for Paul to be mad at Eutychus, right? How dare he fall asleep during my sermon? How, how, how dare he? He got what was coming to him, Right? Isn't that what we say a lot of times when somebody falls out of church and something bad happens to them? (laughs) They got what was coming to them. No wonder, right? Should have been in church. Should have been walking with the Lord. And so we lose that compassion, friends. But instead, Paul's heart was moved with compassion. Amen? Paul's heart was moved and he went and he fell down on him and he embraced him and said, do not trouble yourselves for his life is in him. Friends, uh, God actually did a miracle here, another miracle here through the apostle Paul and Eutychus was brought back to life. Amen. Praise God for Paul being there. Amen. Now, I like what Charles Spurgeon once said about this passage. He said, now, as we read this passage and we think it's okay to sleep in church because God's going to bring us back to life anyway, he said, we need to remember if we go to sleep during the sermon and die, there are no more apostles around to restore us. (laughs) We always got to remember that, friends. But look at verse 11. It says, now, when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, talking about Paul here, 
even till daybreak. So listen, he had preached till midnight, and here they are still going. Now, I imagine there was a little celebration in there, right? As it says here in verse 12, they brought the young man in alive, and they were, uh, literally it says they were not a little comforted. It means they were greatly comforted. They were ecstatic, amen, that Eutychus was okay. Paul's heart was moved with compassion, even though Eutychus became apathetic, disinterested, fell out of church, and Paul revived him. You see, here's the deal. Other Christians are going to disappoint us from time to time. Amen? People are going to fall away when they shouldn't. Maybe you are here this morning and you have been one of those who have fallen away when you know you shouldn't have. People are going to get caught up in stuff they shouldn't. Amen? The question is this, friends, do we extend grace to them when they return? Or, better yet, do we even reach out to them before they do return, right? Listen, I am perfectly fine. I know uh, one of the things that is going to be beneficial with us being back in one service together for a little while is sometimes you don't know, you assume when somebody's not in church, maybe they were going to first service or second service and your paths are just crossing. Listen, I am perfectly fine with you saying, Pastor, I haven't seen so-and-so in a while. Are they okay? You know what else is okay? The other thing that's okay is when you don't see so-and-so for a while, write them a note, give them a call. You say, but what if they, I just haven't seen them? Maybe you've been the one who hadn't been here. Well, you know what? It's okay to say that too. Maybe we've just passed, but I just wanted to let you know that I have missed you. And I love you in the Lord. Amen? Friends, we need to extend grace to others. Amen? We need to not be quick to judge, but instead, we need to be big on love and compassion. Amen? And listen, Paul said, 1 Corinthians 13, let everything we, need, we do be done with what? Love. Love. Do we need to hold to the truth? Absolutely. Do sometimes the people need to be uh, uh, the error of their ways pointed out? Sure, that needs to happen sometimes. But friends, the overarching thing that needs to be done in all is we need to do it in what? Love. We need to do it in love. Friends, I want you to think about it. If you were in that situation, how would you want others to treat you? How has God treated you in Christ Jesus? Hasn't he extended his grace to you? Amen? While we were yet sinners... Even while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Praise God for that. Friends, what I have found as a pastor is that in today's world, it is very easy for people to fall out of church. It happens all the time. We get busy. We get preoccupied. We get overwhelmed sometimes we just get complacent amen and, and and it doesn't take much for the stuff of life to make us indifferent and apathetic towards the things of god most of the time we don't mean to most of the time we don't intend to but it happens doesn't it it happens a sports writer for the Dallas Morning News, wrote an article quite a few years ago about visiting the Dallas Cowboys football team at their practice facility just after the fourth game of the regular season. 
Here's what he wrote about his observations in visiting that practice. He said, I have never seen so many long faces on millionaires in all my life. Here are all these guys making millions of dollars. And the parking lot is filled with very expensive automobiles. Yet these guys are all walking around with long faces. He says, I don't understand why they ought to be grateful for where they are. They're making lots of money. They are young. They're successful. At the time, the Cowboys were 4-0. He said, they ought to be rejoicing. I just don't understand it. Why are they so apathetic? Well, he found his answer in something quarterback Troy Aikman said to him later on. Aikman said, he said, the 1992 season was fun. He said, we were a team that was expected to, to do well, but not too well. No one expected us to beat the 49ers, and yet we did. And we went on to win the Super Bowl, and it was a great time of celebration. But since then, for whatever reason, our games have become more like just a job. Friends, I believe what happened to them was that they simply forgot what it was all about. They simply forgot and lost their love for playing the game of football. You say, Pastor, what does football have to do with the church? Well, friends, in a very similar way, I believe that many Christians today have simply forgotten what church is all about. Church is all about Jesus and what he's done for us. And many Christians have lost their love for the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for them. How about you? Friends, are you here this morning and you have become indifferent? You started to become apathetic? You really just don't care that much what happens with spiritual things? You have no interest in getting involved in the mission of God, reaching people for Christ, or growing in your relationship with him? Friends, if any of those things describe you, you are in a dangerous, dangerous position. You say, but pastor, I'm saved. I've got my fire insurance. Are you? I hope so. But friends, don't continue to resist the hand of God on your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this morning acknowledging in, Lord, that there is, <clears throat> there are probably more than just a few people who have begun to sense some of the symptoms of apathy and indifference towards spiritual things in their life. Lord, right now, I pray, Lord, that you will work hard on their hearts that you will convict them, Lord. Lord, I pray that you will give them the courage, Lord, to turn from that sin and to run back to you. Lord Jesus, you tell us if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face and pray and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. And I will heal their land. Lord, when we turn from doing life our way 
and run to you. You honor that, Lord, with giving us life. Lord, this morning, for those who are here and need that life from maybe when they were first saved, restored in them, Lord, today would you do a work in their hearts. Lord, today for those who are here who maybe have never put their faith and trust in you as their Lord and Savior, today, Lord, would you give them the courage to say, yes, I believe and I invite you, Jesus, into my life. Friends, if you're here this morning and you've noticed apathy and indifference start to set in, you can do business with God right where you are and I pray and hope that you've already begun that. But our altar is also going to be open this morning for you to come Get down on your knees. You can do business with God. If you want somebody to pray with you, come grab me or Mark or someone else that maybe you respect and you just want to come pray with you. Would you do that this morning? Maybe you're here this morning and you want to just pray and ask God, Lord, keep that attitude from ever entering into my life and into my heart. Lord, keep me alive and keep me passionate about you and what you've done for me, Lord Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, my whole life has been apathetic spiritually. I've been wondering about Jesus and what he is and what he's done. Today, I want to invite him into my life. I believe he died for me, for my sins and rose again. And today, I want him to come into my life and save me, make me anew. Friends, I'd love for you, if that's your desire, just pray right now, asking Him to come in. And then I'm going to ask you to come and just share that wonderful, good, glorious news with me. Lord, you do a work among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, let's stand.